Hi everyone and welcome back to What A Barb, A Pollen podcast. This week I'm joined by Lecky, Veg and Beans and we're actually going to be taking a little bit of a mid-season pause from our rewatch of season one and this week we'll be bringing you something slightly different but we hope you enjoy it nonetheless. We thought we'd be bringing you these episodes where we'll be digging deeper into the production process from start to finish. There'll be a combination of nostalgia about our experiences in the fandom of the past year. We'll be taking some walk down crumbs memory lanes. We'll be digging for clues that we might have once overlooked, reevaluating everything we do know, speculating about the things we don't, going down rabbit holes, spiraling and making entire storylines from one tiny blurry photo. For these episodes, we're really going to be digging through the archives. We're going to be taking our little archaeology brushes to our archaeological sites of filming leaks, seeing what we can find. Other things is that we will be correcting crumbs that we had that may have been mixed up with different like filming shows, because I know a lot of things we're filming at the mm-hmm. same time. As season three. We'll be doing different episodes based off of where they were in filming. For instance, this episode is all about pre-production and what happened before they started actually filming the season yeah, three. exactly. And these episodes are going to be a combination of cast interviews, official press releases, social media posts, but they're also going to feature lots and lots of filming leaks. So spoilers ahead. And anything that hasn't come from the cast and crew themselves should all be taken with a truckload of salt because it's all speculation. It's all spiraling. There's going to be a lot of deep dives, theories, tangents along the way. And like any good archive, we have huge gaps in the historical record where we don't know where they were or the the leaks might be wrong or missing and things that just lost the mysteries of the Shondaland production team. So while we're in the midst of a crummy episode now, let's do the second layer of crumbs for the week. Aleki, what have you got for us? So it's been a relatively quiet week for crumbs, but Luke Newton released a promotional video for BMW, which sent the entire fandom into a spin. While we're on the topic of Luke Newton, a release date for The Shape of Things has finally been announced. It will be streaming on the original theatre company's membership-based digital theatre platform starting on August 8th. Unfortunately, it's only available to residents of the UK and Europe, but we will include info in our show notes for how you can sign up. It is just for UK and EU because of licensing issues. So basically, the company who owns the rights in the UK is different to the company who owns the rights to the play in the US and licensing is very strict. I've been involved with it before. So that is it. It won't be anything to do with like the directors of the play or anything. I'm sure like they and Luke and everyone in the cast would want everyone to see it. And then we also just wanted to take a moment to highlight Ellen Morojnik, the costume designer for season one. She recently worked on the film Oppenheimer. So if you'd like to support the Bridgerton family, so to speak, and see her marvelous work, go and buy your tickets. We also wanted to provide some clarification regarding some rumors going around. So some eagle-eyed fans have spotted that Bridgerton has five seasons registered on the WGA's website. As we know, four seasons of the show have currently been confirmed. Unfortunately, it appears that those five seasons listed include Queen Charlotte. So we don't have any news on confirmed seasons beyond season four. But obviously we are all hoping that we'll get the full eight seasons. Yes, definitely. It gives Gregory and Hyacinth time to grow up. Yeah. <laughs> it's not been confirmed. So like Beans has said in previous episodes, you've got to wait for like the official confirmation. But we can always hope. Yeah. And, you know, they've hinted at even some spin-offs. So Yeah, manifesting. So I wasn't available for the strike episode that the others recorded. 
and put out last week. I obviously am in full support of the strikes as well and they said it all in terms of my opinions but we thought you know we want to sort of bring it up as much as we can. We'll be keeping you informed about the strike and taking some time in our episodes to highlight some of the issues. Lecky, you're quite well informed so I'll leave it to you for this one. Yeah so we just wanted to talk about some of the issues affecting the striking workers and today um, we kind of wanted to highlight the issue of declining pay. So in general here in America and I'm assuming abroad as well wages are not keeping up with inflation and that's also affecting the writers. So specifically, the WGA has stated that the writers' weekly pay has dropped by 23%. Adding to this is the fact that the advent of streaming and what's called the golden age of television has radically changed the TV world. So before streaming, TV shows usually had 22 episode seasons. Now they average only 8 to 10. The problem with this is that writers are paid per episode. It's harder for them to live on the income that only one show brings in. The other issue with streaming is that sometimes there are very long breaks between seasons. With network TV, it's usually just a couple of months. But with streaming, sometimes that break can last for years, which means the writer's income isn't steady. Right, the whole landscape has changed. Another topic we wanted to touch on today is the issue of residuals, which we kind of mentioned briefly during our strike episode, but this is kind of a massive point of contention between the WGA, SAG, and the AMPTP. The problem is that while streaming is now synonymous with entertainment, eclipsing broadcast TV in most cases, the way that residuals are calculated for streaming shows results in writers on those shows being paid far less. That's because the residuals for streaming shows are not calculated based on the audience. So for network shows, the more viewers you pull in, the more money you'll receive in residuals, and then there's streaming shows like Bridgerton. As an aside, just a quick congratulations to everyone behind Queen Charlotte, which is now considered one of Netflix's top 10 shows. Yeah, so Queen Charlotte pulled in over 80 million views, it got announced. In comparison, Bridgerton series 1 had 113 and series two had over 93 million views so Chondaland definitely should be happy there yeah it's a lot it's a lot of views so Mm. although all three of these shows have pulled in over 286 million views and have over 2 billion hours watched the writers have received no additional compensation and to me that seems pretty ridiculous that they're pulling in numbers like that and yet aren't entitled to like a bigger slice of the pie so a lot of streaming services look at what shows brought someone onto the platform Mm -hmm. and that is sort of a key metric when they're looking at shows they'll look at if the show was what made someone sign up for streaming so what some made the money for them and I'm sure especially around COVID that that was the case for Bridgerton yeah for sure but it seems like that as well just isn't taken into account in the contracts yeah And then where actors are concerned, they're also receiving really minuscule residuals checks. Residuals used to be enough to help actors live off of and pay their bills, but that's really not the case anymore. For example, Mandy Moore, if you have seen the show This Is Us, which ran for six seasons, sometimes receives residuals checks as small as 81 cents, which is really not that much. So that concludes our somewhat depressing Crumbs segment this week. We will be sharing information mentioned in this episode, as well as resources for how you can donate and spread the word about the strike in our show notes and on our strike highlights on instagram got luke's bmw ad to <laughs> that's true keep us going <laughs> go back and watch that if you're feeling a little down and then go read some <laughs> stuff about the strike again <laughs> yeah i guess let's get back to our episode all right sounds good Beans, could you take us through a little bit of what the production for season three has looked like in terms of structure? Since season two, what they do is something called block film. They do 
four blocks, two episodes per block, and each block is about eight to ten weeks. They do it in numerical order, but they don't film chronologically. And then the other thing to add is that if they're doing pickup or they're doing on-location shooting and they haven't been able to film there, they'll typically film all of the scenes that they need for season three. For instance, they were in Bath in January, and that was the first time that they visited Bath, so they had to complete all of the scenes for the entire season within that week. So that's just kind of the structure of how they film. And then that also doesn't include what goes into before filming, which is dance practices. I know that they do dialect teaching. In terms of filming, it's two episodes, numerical order, Block. Thank you, that's really helpful. And we're going to be, in this series of our Okrams, we're going to be tracking everything chronologically. So we're going to have one on pre-production, we're going to have an episode per block, and then we'll, mm-hmm. maybe depending on the timeline of when everything gets released, we might have a little bit of a post-production analysis as well. We're going to be releasing these slightly differently, so they take a lot of preparation because we're really getting into the deep dives and collecting all the evidence. So if you've been a Pollen fan from day one of the books back in the early 2000s, if you joined the fandom with the Netflix show, or if you've only joined the Pollen fandom yesterday, hopefully these episodes will be a guide to take you through the last year or so of all of our lives, what it's been like to be a fan during the wilderness months, and the friendships we've made along the way. But yeah, let's start with season two itself, which was released on Netflix, March 2022. And if we go back to the historical record, everyone, so this is the thing we need to get into, we're going to travel back in time. If you remember, at the time, it hadn't been confirmed who would be the focus of season three. Shocking. Yeah, I can't imagine a time when we didn't know. But in the world of last year, there was a lot of heavy speculation from fans about if Shondaland were going to change the original order of the books, if it was going to stay the same. So if you're unfamiliar with the books, the order goes Daphne, Antony, Benedict, Colin, Eloise, Francesca, Hyacinth. And the final book is about Gregory. So season one and season two of the show actually followed the order of the books, with Daphne's season being followed by Antony's. All the way back in April 2021, it had been confirmed that the show had been renewed for both season three and season four, but it wasn't confirmed who those seasons would be about, but it seemed like Benedict would be season three because they were going along with the order mm-hmm. of the books. I think until season two had been released, there maybe wasn't anything that was necessarily suggesting otherwise. But then season two dropped. Before we fully get into the post-season two pre-production of season three period, did we get any clues from season two that might have started to make us think that season three was going to be Colin and Penn's? We sure did. We sure did. One of them was Penn and Colin's friendship in season two. It was really highlighted in one of the major subplots of season two. And as we noticed in season one, Antony in particular had a larger subplot, which led us to believe that he would be season two. So that was a big one. There's also what we like to call the Palmal theory, the Easter eggs from season two. First of all, when the family are playing Palmal, Colin first uses a yellow mallet, kind of <laughs> to symbolize his interest in Penelope. But during that game, Benedict actually doesn't get his ball through the third wicket. Mm-hmm. Colin is the first one who gets his ball through the third wicket, which is kind of a little blink and miss a moment that suggested that he was going to be season three. The Palmal theory is a really interesting one for all the seasons. So there wasn't just foreshadowing for season three in there. If you pay attention, Kate and Anthony are fighting out of the second wicket to represent the second season. Daphne makes a comment just before the game starts that, that Colin is craftier and he'll strike when you least expect it. That's um, which true, is yes. what ended up happening. Colin ended up taking the season, which was unexpected. And there's a lot of theories about this, about whether the whole Palmal sequence is kind of foreshadowing the setup of the rest of the season. So Eloise, if you pay attention, she gets her ball through the fifth wicket. Is that suggesting that she's going to be season five? Possibly. What else was there? 
listeners, you might remember, and we will put graphics on, on everything on social media to remind you of this moment at the very end of season two, episode eight, when Kate and Anthony have just had their dance. There's this really nice moment between them where they're talking. Obviously, Kate has had a recent head injury that she's recovered from. And so there's this playful moment where Anthony says, how many fingers am I holding up? And he puts up three and then he quickly turns his hand and they change to four. Yeah, after, after she guesses three. She guesses three and he tricks her and goes four. There's a lot of interpretation about what this hand gesture means, but one interpretation of the hand gesture is that he was an indication that season three was going to be switched with season four. So the book leads of, of book three and four were going to be swapped over, so it's going to be Colin in season three. I think I might, I might have a head injury because I do not remember <laughs> this. <laughs> At the end of episode eight, very sad Benedict after he decides to quit art school in a in a huff because Anthony paid his way in, or so he thinks. He goes and closes his little art toolkit, but he uses four fingers. It's kind of it's kind of like a weird little moment. It's yeah, it seemed a little unnatural, but the four fingers that he uses to close that little toolkit suggests that he's actually season four. And this is the kind of thing that Shondaland love to kind of layer the little hints the palmar theory really kind of proved that there's a lot of intentionality between the symbolism and the imagery that they use so it's not just us going crazy and then i think maybe one of the biggest most obvious clues was the fact that we had at the end of season two the adaptation of the scene from an offer from a gentleman and romancing mr bridgerton where pen overhears colin not saying particularly nice things and it's a very well-known scene within their story even if in their story in the books there's a big time gap between it but for the show it really raises stakes for their story i think we talked about this in a previous episode where there is a little tradition that's starting to unfold where at the end of season one we had anthony setting himself up for his season by saying something about how he wasn't gonna have love in his marriage that suggested he was next and so the ramping up of the whole pen and colin storyline has been said earlier throughout the whole season built into this moment at the end where we knew that when they came back in season three regardless of who was going to be the lead there was going to be shit to deal with for pen and colin Yep. Mm -hmm. And then our last little clue. Yes, we have a little lilac Colin sighting in the last few minutes of the season. We see Colin in a lilac jacket and cravat, which we know that lilac symbolizes first love and that he's beginning his journey to being in love. He's also holding a little green mallet in that scene. So yeah, so in season two itself, there was a lot of a lot of hinting, but we didn't get anything official. On the day of the season two release, actually, Entertainment Weekly released an article which was titled Bridgerton Season 3 May Tell a Different Love Story Than Expected, in which they kind of compiled all their suspicions that season three would actually focus on Colin rather than Benedict, which at the time was a bit of a controversial opinion, really. So let's see what evidence they had when they asked Simone Ashley about the show's future. Simone said she was super excited for the world to see Nicola and Luke Rocket, which feels like a big hint. Thanks, Simone. Thanks, Simone. We love you. <laughs> They'd also spoken to the show's creator, Chris Van Dusen, and he said, we did a lot of work in those two, first two seasons as far as setting up Penn and Colin's love story. There's so much yearning and so much angst, and it's going to be really satisfying when the show gets to really focus on the two of them. Hmm. And then Luke Newton himself said, we have no idea how close they're going to stay to future relationships or how it's going to go. You never know what story's going to overlap. So maybe we have a shift in time. Obviously, this year we had flashback stuff. And we now know Mm -hmm. that this was a cheeky little hint, the fact that the timeline of the books was going to be massively changed. So in the books, Penn and Colin don't get together until they're 28 and 33, where now they're going to be a lot younger. Luke kind of has a little slip up here where he he says he's not sure how close they're going to stay to the the order of the books. And then we had a similar moment with Nicola in an Entertainment Tonight interview, didn't we? 
Yeah, so during the press of season two, when all these interviews came about, Shonda had told Entertainment Tonight, we're not necessarily going in order, but we are going to be seeing each of the siblings and their stories. Entertainment Tonight brought this up really quickly with Nicola, in which the interviewer said, Shonda just told me we're not going to go in order. So what can we expect from season three? Is it a story for Penelope and Colin? And I think we all remember this interview where Nicola had clearly not been given the memo that Shonda had said this. And she's like very visibly, I think she's like drinking some water and she's like panicking. Yeah, she's like drinking like a water or smoothie or something. She she takes a very awkward like sip and her eyes kind of widen. (laughs) I will say that even before like Bridgerton came out and everything, there was discussion of Shonda and if they're going to go in the book order, as there usually is, I feel like with series. And Shonda has always hinted at they might not go into the order. So this is just a personal theory of mine that they had the first three seasons already planned out because they didn't know if it was going to get a renewal. And I think that Shonda wanted to include Lady Whistledown's story in case they didn't get the renewal. I think that it was after season one that they decided just because there's so many Benedict storyline foreshadowing moments in season one. But in season two, they went all in on Penelope and Cullen. So I think maybe they made a shift there after they got their renewal and decided that they'd rather have uh, Benedict season season four okay that's my suspicion it's not really disagree with you just the timeline a little bit and as we'll learn there was a change in showrunner which might have also had an impact in the direction they were going to go poor nick was really put on the spot and she did not the best job of covering over her shop and she says i don't know i didn't i didn't know she said that and she very quickly tried to change the topic so the cat was kind of out of the bag by now a lot of suspicion was being raised that season three was going to be pollens it only kind of increased as more interviews were going around so there's a shondaland interview with luke from march and he kind of was being more reflective about the end of season two and where they'd left the characters he said i'm excited to see what's next purely because we've got this heated moment at the end of season two where penelope is basically she's pissed off she's pissed off at the bridgertons it's like she has no real loyalty or connection to them and up until that point they've been protected by lady whistledown because of her connection so i'm dying to see the first whistledown published at the start of season three because it could could be all of the Bridgerton secrets revealed all at once. Have you noticed that he's like put this forward a little bit in a few interviews? And I don't know if he's trying to misdirect us, but he's kind he of is. he's kind of alluded to the idea a few times of like, oh, Penelope is really annoyed at Bridgerton, so her loyalty is going to break and she's going to ditch all their secrets. We think that's a deliberate misdirect. Yeah, I don't think Penelope would do that. I don't think she'll do that, but I think maybe she'll be nitpicky because as we know in Romancing Mr. Bridgerton, spoilers, she does get a little bit nitpicky about Colin after he comes back. Perhaps not. Perhaps it's just a misdirect, a little bit of a red herring, Mr. Newton. Yeah. Bit of red herring. We're on to you, Newts. We had another interview with Adjua Ando, our beloved Lady Danbury. She was being interviewed about the direction and the future of the show. She kind of gave us a few hints about what we can expect from season three. She said that season three, we have the spine of the books. And then she talked about how Shondaland kind of put a twist on it. She called it the Shondaverse effect. So she's saying, you know, we're going to have more of the same that we've seen from season one and two. She did say something interesting. She said, I think with every season, they try to change the spin on it slightly. And so there'll be a new spin. There'll be a new showrunner and everything is to play for, as Lady Danbury would say. Adjo are hinting at a little spin. And, you know, we do see that season one has a different tone and kind of colouring to it than season two does, I think. And we'll dig into that when we get into season two. So I do think that they, the production try to give a bit of a unique identity to each season and each love story. And then we started to move into April and The Hollywood Reporter had an interview where they both asked Nick and Luke about what they hope to see from their characters in the next season. And so Nicola has been very reflective of 
how difficult it had been for Penelope after what happened at the end of season two. And she says, you know, season two had been a real pride comes before a fall season and that she's fallen as low as she can get. She's lost Eloise, she's lost Colin. Whistledown's all she's got, kind of alluding to the fact that we're going to start off in a very interesting place of season three. Hello, Veg has just joined us. <laughs> so that's kind of where Nick was thinking about where we were going to pick things off for Penelope at the start of season three. And it's something that Luke pulled upon too. And he said that he hoped that that kind of fallout is where they started next season, which is a bit of a big hint that he thought that the foundations of their relationship had really been set in season two. And he was excited to see what the future brings and how much longer Colin could go without seeing what's right in front of his eyes. And he also added that Colin would be devastated to know that she ever heard what he'd said. So I couldn't join the start of the call, but I just want to make my entrance into this episode. Make your entrance, babe. By saying, I'm glad he'll be devastated. <laughs> Don't know who let her onto this podcast. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Nuke... Uh, nuke? <laughs> what did you call Nuke? I didn't nuke? know yet that time. Um, <laughs> I know I don't like it, but I don't want to nuke that. <laughs> Everyone recognised that the, the point that they'd left season two off was this really heightened moment and an opportunity to either let that simmer for another season or kind of push that to the forefront. So the pieces are starting to come together. We're getting very suspicious at this point. Throughout May, Bridgerton and Shondaland both started to post some very suspicious social media posts on Instagram and Twitter. It kind of marked the shift in the social media focus and it seemed to be hinting at a bit of an upcoming announcement. So we got a few posts. I don't know if you remember, there was a behind the scenes photo of Penn and Colin in costume with a little caption saying from rather formal to rather friendly. There was another post that was of Colin, his little, do you know his little character collage poster that they yeah. all got last year? So cute. It's very cute. What's in it like? We've got a little letter addressed to Penelope. There's some olive oil, a Greek flag, a compass, a map, a fencing saber, and the Corona Pofolia page from Flora Greca. Little nod to his friendship with Philip. And the caption for that was, some time abroad has had quite the effect on Colin Bridgerton, indeed. This all kind of came as a flurry, so people started to get a bit suspicious about why the social media was suddenly going very pen and Colin focused. Just as it was all building, there was a final post that was very blatant that Shondaland posted, where it was a clip of our favourite heart I've seen with the caption, be right back, looking for someone who will look at me the way Colin looked at Penelope. Don't you miss when we used to get these little crumbs on social media? <laughs> yeah. We used to we used to live for these. They've gone silent since we went silent since Christmas, didn't they? Mm -hmm. And then we got a little resurgence. But we'll be tracking these social media posts because sometimes they've like given little hints, little clues, and we're not quite sure who writes these social media posts and what secrets they know. Yeah, because we have read a little too much into them, some of the pollen fandom sometimes. We're in early May and we get our first confirmation of when production is going to be starting on season three, which is super, super exciting. So it was Jonathan Bailey who confirmed it in an interview and he was kind of talking about his upcoming work. And at the time of the interview, he was starring in a production of Cock in London's West End. Veg, did you ever see that? I didn't get tickets. No, that was a hot ticket. Couldn't get one. Yeah, it was, it cost a fortune. But when he was mentioning his schedule, he said that the play will be closed on the 4th of June and that he was going to have exactly one day off before he returned to start the filming of the next season of Bridgerton. As we'll see later, the date seemed to shift a little bit as production was hit by delays. Beans, you made a really good point earlier in the episode, didn't you, that production doesn't necessarily mean filming? Yeah, that was happening is they make the costumes. The costuming process is incredibly laborious because there is just so much put into the costumes. The fittings were what caused some of the delays at the beginning of the season before they started. And, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of adjustments to scripts. Yep. The crew were all getting in process. Mm -hmm. 
fittings. Yeah, cast readings, rehearsals. You know, in season two, I know they talked a lot about the rehearsals for the fencing sequences. They, they all kind of have to be blocked out ahead of time, don't they? And I'm sure like the directors and the cinematographers have a lot of preparation to do. So, you know, it's not like they all just rock mm-hmm. up on the first day of filming and just get started. Yeah. It's a huge, huge production. Another thing to add, we were still following COVID protocols pretty closely at, at the time too. So there were just a lot of different things. They all kind of fell into place for it to be pushed back. I think we've all, you know, we've paid very, very close attention to the production process for season three. And I think what's been nice about that, whilst we've always been wanting, you know, the set leaks and the crumbs and things like that and to know about the story, I think it's given us such a genuine appreciation for how big these productions are, how much time and love and creativity goes into every aspect. But these episodes will be a chance for us to really appreciate all those different moving parts and seeing how the show kind of comes together. And it's going to be really satisfying when we actually get the season to watch that with kind of the intensity and the close eye that we've, we've been paid to it. I mean, I'm worried about that, to be honest. I'm worried I'm going to be oh, no, recognising what houses they're we in. We paid such close attention to figuring out where they were filming or to trying to, you know, uncover clues about the, the story to the point where we'll be like, what windows are there? Those are the windows at Rest Park or Ditchley or somewhere. <laughs> We've kind of ruined it for us a little bit. It's going to be very rewarding, if slightly distracting, uh, end product. Twelfth of May, we got our first announcement about season three. So in the background, there's all this speculation, like we were saying, about whether it was going to be Ben or Colin. We actually got an announcement about another character, Lucky. Who did we have? Hannah Dodd was announced that she would mm-hmm. be playing Francesca, that she would be taking over the role of Francesca because Ruby Stokes, who played Francesca in the first two seasons, had to leave because of scheduling conflicts. She was shooting the, the series Lockwood & Co., which yeah. was great, by the way. Yes, it was unfortunately cancelled, but actually the first uh, season is really good and it works as a standalone. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend it. And she's going to she's gonna go on to have an amazing career because she's so talented. The filming had yeah. impacted the Bridgerton quite a bit though, hadn't it? We, we talk about it in our rewatches that a lot in season one and season two, Francesca just hadn't been there. In this show itself, it's kind of past us, her being off at Aunt Winnie's. And Chris Van Dusen, who was the showrunner of season one and season two, talks a little bit about the impact. And he said that he loved the character of Francesca, but they lost her midway through season two. Tried to make it work, but unfortunately, Ruby had to leave the show. And they said perhaps season three was going to be the charm. And yet they announced that Hannah Dodd would now be taking over the role. We also, in that announcement, a bit of confirmation that filming was going to begin Mm -hmm. over the summer. In the article which announced the news, Francesca was described as pragmatic, reserved and dry-witted, which we've maybe seen tiny tiny glimmers of in the show in really small, small ways. You know, this wasn't only the first piece of news that we got for season three, but I think this was a real indication that Francesca was going to be playing Mm -hmm. a much bigger role than she had done in the first two seasons. I don't think this announcement made anyone think that Francesca was going to have the season. No. It definitely indicated one of the main subplots, perhaps, that, you know... Yeah, especially book fans know that Francesca has two love stories and one of them is sort of a... almost a flashback. It's not really... It's not the main focus of her book. The second love story she has is... Yeah, I I think you're right. I think that the speculation that we had was that Francesca's role was going to be increased because they needed to start mm-hmm. developing her character to prepare for her season. And because her book has to love interest in it then they needed to start developing at least the first relationship to set the wheels in motion for her actual love story which bodes well for maybe having more than four seasons i think 
they've put it in place so it can happen if they get the and it's like what we see with you know Sir Philip they they brought him in through season one before they even if they had confirmation for season three and four mm-hmm. they have been layering these stories so it was definitely good indication that Francesca's really going to take a step up and we have seen not to spoil future episodes but there have been a few filming links with Francesca so yeah. we feel like we have a good grasp on what her story might be and we think that like you were saying Veg that they're going to kick off that first love story of her and John in the middle of May we finally got the announcement that we'd all been waiting for so on the 15th of May I think it was they attended the Netflix FYC event in LA for the Bridgerton panel which was a panel where they were talking about the craft mm-hmm. of everything and at the end of the panel the interviewer turned to Nick who's very aptly dressed in a green pollen dress and she says Nicola is there something you'd like to share with us all about season three so like Lady no I can't do oh, that was Welsh <laughs> I was trying to be Irish it didn't work out. <laughs> Did you try to be Irish? <laughs> Can anyone do an Irish accent? Absolutely not. So like Lady Whistledown, I've been keeping a secret for quite some time. That's that's definitely Scottish. I just absolutely yeah. went into a Scottish accent there. So Nick says, like Lady Whistledown, I've been keeping a secret for quite some time. And I can confirm to you all that season three is Colin and Penelope's love story. I've kept that secret from two weeks into season two. This is the first time that I've said it. And she was asked how she felt about it. And she said she was terrified and that it was crazy, scary. You know, she compared Colin and Penelope to the Ross and Rachel of Bridgerton with Penelope being Ross. She praised Luke Newton for being a gorgeous scene partner. And she mentioned it's going to be a bit awkward because they've been friends and they're going to have to film some spicy scenes. But she confirmed that they'd had the entire, they'd had like a run through of the whole season. So maybe not all the scripts, but they certainly knew then what was going to happen in terms of their story yeah and she said they were going to start shooting really really soon and the next day that was kind of followed up with all the official announcements that came out and we got our official announcement from Bridgerton. Mayfair's social season should find its focus on a third son as well as a third daughter. This author can confirm that the upcoming season shall follow none other than the budding relationship between Mr. Colin Bridgerton and one Miss Penelope Featherington. With Penelope's days as a wolfflower wearing thin, will she finally take bloom? Time will tell, and as always, so will this author. Yours truly, Lady Whistledown. And it was accompanied with the caption, Miss Penelope Featherington cannot remain a wallflower forever as all plants thrive best in the sunlight. Oh, which is like a little hint to the recurring theme that we've seen for season three about them stepping into their light. And both Nick and Newt's made a very cute little post on social media each. She said at the event the night before about how it was going to be Colin and Penelope's story. Luke also made a post and he was like, looks like the cat's out the bag. Season three will follow the story of Colin and Penn. See you all soon. It was really exciting and we got a big announcement article with an interview with Nick and Newt's on the same day. This kind of really delved into a bit more about why they were pushing this season forward and about how where it was going to take them. So Nick made a good point that if the viewers watched Penelope fawning over him for another season, it was just going to get a little bit tiring. So I think that Shondaland decided to really push that dynamic forward. And she confirmed again that they'd gone through the season and she mentioned that book fans were going to be really happy. They're going to be really pleased, especially when it came to some of their steamy moments. And she also said that she couldn't ask for a better partner to go into it with and that they had such trust in each other. And they were jumping into it. Luke also commented again about the ending of season two. He says that he's got a lot of stick from the fans about what Colin said at the end. And he called the scene savage. And in his perspective, he thinks that Colin saw it more as a throwaway comment. But he made a good point that it doesn't really matter how Colin saw that. And we know that Colin goes off travelling, right, before season three. So he's happily Mm -hmm. going off on the wiser. And he makes the point that what really matters 
to the audience is how important it is to Penelope and the damage that it does to her. The uh, best line from the article, um, in my opinion, is he says, in fact, it's possible Colin's willful obliviousness is the biggest obstacle to romance heading into season three. I like the term willful obliviousness, though. That kind of puts it a little bit more in his court. Also, they said that maybe that's Colin's excuse. He's not looking for love at all. If he was actively out there constantly looking for the right person and she's right in front of him, you'd be even more frustrated. And in this interview, Luke also said that he wanted to see a more sensitive side to Colin. I think he's quite a sensitive soul already, but maybe showing a bit more. I think what he's probably referring to here is that Colin could be accidentally quite careless around Penn. It's like the you do not count scene, right? Where he yeah. his intention behind what he said was good in a way, but he's a bit careless with mm-hmm. how he says things and how it can be interpreted by those around him. You know, he said that he was a big fan of the relationship where it's from a friendship and you get to know each other down to the core and it sparks something from there. We all love a good friends to lovers trope, don't we? They also mentioned that they had a cheeky little pollen playlist together. I think that Jonathan Bailey and Simone Ashley also had a little playlist, didn't they? But yeah, Nick and Newt said they shared a pollen playlist and we got a little hint or two as to what was on the playlist. So Nick said that she favoured mm-hmm. a bunch of Billie Eilish songs. We've all done a lot of speculating about the playlist. I've always liked Billie Eilish being on there. Anyone got any preferences for Billie Eilish songs? Uh, bad Guys, very much a pen song, I guess. Um, and that's, I think, all of the Billie Eilish songs I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oceanized. Happier than ever. That would be an incredible dance scene between the two of them because it's very, like, like an affected, relaxed, kind of like, I don't really care. And then it gets intense. And, and I'd really love to see that in, like, a dance sequence between the two of uh-huh. them. And if you listen to the lyrics, they're so, so potent to Pollen. And the other song that I think could yeah. make it is When the Party's Over. So those are my, my Billie Eilish theories. And then can anybody guess what song Newt said he wanted to be on the playlist? And it was all yellow. It was all <laughs> yellow. This song has particular pollen meaning for me. Well, it has pollen meaning for everyone. I'm not tooting my own horn here, but this is when my boyfriend realised I was truly crazy. <laughs> because I had, he came in and I'd played Luke's cover, which I think predates this announcement. I think it's a couple of years old. But he did a cover of Yellow and my boyfriend walked in and it was on and I was crying. (laughs) 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 Because I was so moved by this thing and I was like, yeah, so. I think I can imitate his phrasing fairly well. Look at the stars. Look how they shine. That's not an indict. He has a beautiful voice. I just I remember the um, imitation. Mm-hmm. So Newt's wanted yellow by Coldplay because of Penelope's dresses. We're all a big fan of this making the playlist. I feel like that's such a dude answer. You know, Nick was like, "Oh, these are meaningful things," and he's like, "Well, she wears some yellow dresses." The lyrics are perfect. <laughs> the lyrics work in his defense. I think they're gonna have to put yellow in. We'll, like I say, we'll have a dedicated playlist episode, I'm sure. So we had some crumbs there from the two of them, and we got a bit more of an explanation as to why Penn and Colin had been pushed forward in a variety interview with the new showrunner. So as we said before, previously in season one and season two, it had been Chris Van Dusen who is still involved in season three, isn't he? He's got a uh, is he an executive producer now yeah but Jess Brunel was gonna be taking over as a showrunner 
And she said that she felt like it was really their time. They'd been watching both of them on screen for two seasons. And so we're all invested in them. She made this interesting allusion. She said, especially in the last season, there are these moments of tension between them where Colin walks up to the line of almost realising that Penelope has feelings for him, but doesn't quite get there. Instead of treading water on that dynamic, we wanted to push it into their season. And she reassured the Bonofi fans amongst us, of which we are very much included. She said that, you know, Benedict is book three, he's still going to be a very vital part of season three. This is also a hint that he's season four because we all know that the next lead usually gets a meaty subplot. And then we've got a bit of a confusing point that looking back on now is very strange to read. At the time, we just kind of took it as as it was. So she says that we want to keep seeing all of the siblings. It was those sibling moments, which we're all big fans of, where, you know, with the whole family's together, that is probably the heart of the entire show. And so she said in the interview that we will definitely be seeing Daphne, Anthony and Kate. How much? I don't want to say quite yet, but you have to tune in. So for a very long time, we took this as kind of as it was, you know, the showrunner saying that Daphne... Anthony and Kate were going to be in the season and then I think it was earlier this year Phoebe Dinover who plays Daphne said that she wasn't going to be in season three I don't know what happened I think again it was a scheduling thing because yeah, same. she mm. Phoebe was doing a lot of projects I think she was she filmed like three movies She's been or super something. busy yeah yeah and like a, a TV mm-hmm. series I think she was she was very busy so I think it was just a scheduling thing or they tried to work something out with her and it just like didn't it just didn't happen. And I think fans wanted to see her involved because in Colin's book, she has quite a vital role with Colin. But I would argue that the role she played for Colin in his book was very similar to the role she, she had with Anthony. Yeah, exactly. So sadly, we're not actually going to get Daphne, but we do know that we've got Anthony and Kate. Also, this will be the first time that we have both people in the relationship. So we'll get to see what Bridgerton wants to do with their couples for each season post happy ever after yeah once they've moved into into the next season jess also in this interview made some really interesting points about colin's character so she said that in season one and season two the male leads had had a lot of darknesses in their past tied around to their fathers the relationship with their fathers losing their fathers and she said that obviously colin lost the same father but i think of colin and penn as being characters who bring a lot of comedy to the show so i think we're going to play a lot of that this season but i want to balance that out with quite a bit of sexiness and romance she said that those were important elements to the show that they will get the chance to go deeper with them and push them to more serious sides and see what that looks like so we'll be seeing new levels i believe we referenced this interview in our episode two rewatch i remember when this interview came out and we really didn't know much about season three at the time i was quite confused about what she meant by seeing them as characters who bring a lot of comedy to the show and you have to remember at this time we didn't have the synopsis for season three but now i think we have the synopsis i think it makes a lot more sense and when we're re-watching the episodes we see the kind of comedy that they're referring to the the witty characters and she made an interesting allusion to the fact that it might be something that is balanced out later in the season with a bit more darkness and serious sides I think we've all said before that there's so much to cover within their storyline. There's so much drama there that it could go really, really dark and heavy. We don't want to just see that heaviness. Dark sex. <laughs> that dark sex plot line, you mean? And then she kind of alludes to the fact that Colin losing Edmund won't play into the season as much. But I don't think that, that means that Edmund won't play a role at all. I think Edmund's life and love story is going to have more of an impact on Colin than his death, if that makes sense. Because I think... Anthony was very much shaped by the death and the role that he was forced to play afterwards. Whereas I think Colin's relationship with his parents yeah. is still going to be a big part of it, but just maybe a different way that we haven't mm-hmm. seen yet. There's be some room for some Violet Edmund parallels here, exploring their relationship. We, we hope so. Yeah. 
The other really interesting part of this interview, she said that the season is about two characters who are sort of stepping out of the shadows. Oh, oh, a little, a little shadow. Hidden <laughs> snippet. Did we catch little that? Shadow tease. So we didn't know it at the time, but Out of the Shadows ended up being the name of episode one. She said, Colin is a third son who's kind of been behind the scenes a little bit. And Penelope is Lady Whistledown, who's been living this dual identity. But in public, she's been living on the wall. And she said the season was going to be about watching these two step into the sunshine and find each other. This was maybe one of the first times that that kind of allusion to stepping into the light and leaving the shadows and maybe moving to the forefront was kind of brought up. And I like their point that they're both in very different ways within the shadows. Colin is a very like comfortable character in society, but he lives on the edge of things, maybe within his family and within feeling comfortable within Mm -hmm. himself. And Penelope obviously has the inner confidence through Lady Whistledown that she struggles to reconcile with her, her like wallflower tendencies. And talking about her being a wallflower, Jess also confirmed in this interview that Penelope's story was not really going to be about her appearance or anything like that, which I think a lot of fans had been asking questions about, where there's been a a bit of a misunderstanding about how Penelope's appearance was a part of the books in a way that maybe isn't very representationally Mm -hmm. true. But Jess said that it was going to be more about confidence than it was her outward appearance, and that's what they're going to play with. And then we got some very sweet photos of all of them on a call together, celebrating the start of pre-production and the initial announcements. Once it was officially announced that season three with Ben and Collins, it kept popping up at all times throughout season two promo. Nicola made the comment that she's made before that Penelope had really held Colin onto a pedestal Mm -hmm. and that she needed to take him off that and see him as a fallible human being and that she was excited for Penelope to put more worth in herself and not think of Colin as a perfect angel. And she also gave us a little bit of an indication that it's maybe not going to be as slow paced as we think, that we've already had the slow burn. Yeah. And she says, it's going to stick quite close to the book, I can say, safely. Uh Now, we don't think that's necessarily in terms of plot beat by plot beat, but do you think maybe in terms of how fast it's going to move? Lucky, we were talking about this in a previous episode, Romance of Mr. Bridgerton moves super, super fast, isn't it? Yeah, I think, yeah, from the clues we've received since then, it seems like it's going to be a very fast-paced season. And though they're not mm-hmm. adapting the the book storyline, you know, beat for beat, they're going to be including major sequences like the carriage scene and we think the mirror scene and other important moments like that that book fans like. And Nick also made a hint. She says there'll be a new gentleman in town, I think. I don't know what level. And she said that she <gasps> didn't know the gentleman's name. Deadly. Do you think it's Deblane? I feel like there's one major suitor, and I think it's Deblane, and we were just talking about how Sam Phillips, he comes back in episodes five and six. Could she be talking about Marcus Anderson, though? She could be. Yes, she could. At the time, like I say, we, we still didn't have a synopsis. So do you remember back in these days, we really, really thought that the season was going to look a lot different. Colin's going to go away, and whilst he's away, he's going to have this big revelation about how much he loves her, and he's going to come back, and we were like, Fife is going to have stolen his girl. <laughs> yeah, we all thought it was going to be Fife. Yeah, she does say, but I don't know at what level. So it could be one of the other characters, like Marcus yeah. Anderson, like you said. But mm-hmm. I think maybe she's talking mm-hmm. about Deblin here. It's a possibility. There's three possibilities that we know of. Yeah, we know there are three new men in town. Yeah. Fife will be in the next season, though. We can confirm. He might not be the main character that I wanted him to be, but the Fife life will continue. The Fife watch continues. He'll be there. Yeah. So later in May, Nick and Teresa both interviewed Bridgerton Experience. And this was the first confirmation of that delay that you were talking about earlier, Beans. So if you yeah. remember, Jonathan Bailey had said that they were going to start a lot earlier than they ended up doing. Nick explained that it was because of the costuming, they were taking a long time. So they were going to be starting a little bit later. Then she made a comment that's mm-hmm. always stayed with me ever since reading this. She talked a little bit about Penn's journey after season two. And she said, it's deep and dark. I feel like she's made some mistakes. 
I didn't feel bad for her after all that happened to her at the end. I thought she deserved it. We're going to find her in a better place at the beginning of season three. She's going to grow a lot. I think this is one of the most revealing things we've ever heard about Pen that we're going to find in season three. Kind of gets overlooked because this interview is really difficult to find. It's like a weird clip. I think Nicola has always been very aware of how complex Penelope is as a character. And she's always been very aware of the mistakes that she's made as a character. And I think she's excited to push that side of it. But what do you think about how we're going to find her in a better place at the beginning of season three? It's interesting because from the bath lakes, she seems like she returns, like we've Mm -hmm. said, on a mission. She looks happy, but yeah, there could be some simmering resentment and Mm -hmm. bitterness there that she now knows or believes that she won't be getting the romance that she thought she was going to get towards the end of season two, where she started to get some hope from Colin. Yeah, I mean, she's going to be coming back, and I feel like when they're away and they're not in the time she kind of is separated from everything that's happening and when they come back from the time it's like she has to face the fact that she has this crumbling relation or crumbled relationship with eloise Mm -hmm. you know she's still upset with colin things like that i think that she'll go into the time feeling confident but then we'll be hit by what's happened to her in the past like have to face that like mentally on her own yeah, because like you say, Beans, like she looked quite happy when she was back to the ton. Think about how much time she spent completely alone in the country in a place that she hates, just like left with the, the, the pain and the anger of everything that happened to her. That has to put you into a really dark place, especially if she's trying to be reaching out to Eloise and got only silence from Eloise. And if Colin is sending letters and she doesn't want to receive them, the leaks show that she's surrounded by all these Lady Whistledown editions as she's kind of coming back. And I wonder if she's really going to lean more into that alter ego side of it and that a bit more of bitterness is going to come out in the sharpness of Lady Whistledown. And we know that that's a, a coping mechanism for in a lot of ways. I wonder if the rest of the Lady Whistledown voiceover mm. that d- we didn't see, we only got, I think, a little brief snippet of it. I wonder if, if there's a section that we don't know of yet where that bitterness starts to come through a little yeah, more. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Or at least when Colin finally comes back to town, maybe the second edition of Lady Whistledown will be like... That little shit Colin Bridgerton. Yeah. That's not his epithet. I don't want it. (laughs) Yeah. Or she's going to call him like an international (laughs) rake or something. To bring us up from that slightly depressing moment, Nick said... She was asked what could the fans get in season three? And Nick said one word. Can I remember what that sacred word was? Mirror. Mirror. Uh, I think it was green beans. (laughs) Green beans. That's two words, beans. I really feel for the interviewer because like the interviewer clearly had like no idea. And so she just was like, Mira? He remembers how much everyone lost their minds when this happened. Yeah. yeah. It was gonna happen. The scene that never happened in the book. So I think everyone from that minute, we didn't know what we were else we were gonna get. We didn't know if we were gonna get carriage. We didn't know if we were gonna get any drawing rooms. We didn't know anything. And so to hear Mira, that holy phrase, life-changing. Nick continued to give us some teasers later in May when she posted, do you remember this? She posted a shot of, I think it was like the costume team and she had a fitting for her costumes and it had a name on it. And at the bottom it said, mm-hmm. you are going to lose your mind. And so she was confirming that Pen was going to get her glow up, which we've now seen. Also, I love that even at the fittings, they did like a fun, like a fun little fabric ribbon wrapped around her name. It, it looks like a little bit of, like a mirror, like the frame of a mirror, doesn't yeah. it? But yeah, I wonder if, if this is the same outfit that she was talking about during the Kelly Clarkson interview. Hang on, but we need to we need to pause the crumbs because that what I've just said about Nick was the 24th of May, which in the history of pollen pales in comparison to the incredible epiphany that occurred on the 24th of May 2022. Veg, what happened in this world? So on the 24th of May, I had a dream where it was basically series three as my mind concocted it. And I think all these crumbs were slowly kind of building in the back of my mind. And then that was it. 
suddenly I was your epiphany moment that was it I woke up from my dream I was like oh my god three months later I told my friend I was obsessed with it (laughs) and then a day after that I posted for the first time on Paul Bridgerton the subreddit so (laughs) I mean I've had dreams recently I told you guys about the dream that I had where Nick and Luke were in it and like one of my friends got into a car crash and like was pinned against oh. um, a mattress oh God, and a spiral went like through her sternum and she lived <laughs> so yeah for those not in the know this tracks with beans who likes to read very dark depressing books so beans. this is not surprising to me you tell me about your dreams and yeah i know it's a shocker <laughs> it's a shocker i'm in this fandom honestly <laughs> but veg we're thrilled that you had that i mean imagine if you hadn't have had that dream yeah you'd be free right now and in another little glow-up tease, we had Luke, who posted a gif of Hugh Grant. So the hair in, in this gif, the Hugh Grant hair, is kind of similar. Do you think the hair is a teaser? It does look a little bit... I feel like... You know what's funny? I'm sorry, listeners. But like when this, this gif was posted, there was a bunch of speculation about whether Luke would have kind of this like romantic, like wavy Hugh Grant hair in, in season three. And from some of the leaks we eventually got, it looks like he kind of did and we did see him with some hair clips in his hair and stuff to create some waves but we can talk about that later no i mean to jump ahead to the kelly clarkson interview in june for this interview nick talked about colin's glow up and she went luke newton people are going to lose their minds when they see him the glow up it's going to be real so exciting he just sent me a picture for fitting for season three and oh my god like that has to be pirate colin do you think it's pirate colin yeah We were all speculating our little minds out about what... I think we had maybe a bit of a grasp as to what, like, a Penelope glow-up would look like, right? Because you can imagine just putting her in Mm -hmm. nice dresses that fit and were nice colours. Whereas, like, I didn't think we knew what direction they were going to go for Colin. Because we'd had an entire season of Baby Blue. I think, in retrospect, it has to be Pirate Colin. I don't think we've seen anything that really comes close. From the leaks we've received, it's the only look he has that's kind of different and it stands out in a very unique Mm -hmm. way. So yeah, I think it's got to be that one. Nicola also talked about Penelope's Mm -hmm. globe and she said, I've done my two years in the yellow dresses. I put my time in and she talked about going in for the fitting, which I wonder if it was the fitting that she was talking about in that post that she made. And she says, it's so beautiful. I was really emotional. She complimented John Glazier, who's the designing season three and that he was a genius. What dress do you think made Nicola emotional? Do you think we've seen it? Because she mentions, well, because I think it's the the other one is the pirate Colin outfit. I'm guessing it's from one of the first two episodes. So it could be that one from the window or some Mm. other... Yeah, because yeah. I don't think it's going to yeah. be the one from, like, that blurry picture of pre-glow-up pen <laughs> that would have moved her to tears. <laughs> Those would be different tears. So I th- think it might be the window look, potentially, from To Doom. She'd also confirmed the seven-month filming process and said she was excited and terrified. Beans ended up being about seven months or so, didn't it? It ended up being a little bit over. I think it was about eight months. In terms of filming, about seven months, but they did take off a mid-season break when they had finished block two and then they took off an extended break during the holidays it was a long break too because usually the entertainment industry takes off like two weeks they took off like a month just to put that into perspective from that same kelly clarkson interview adjua she gave us a little bit more of a hint she said it was more twisty than season two and that there would be a return of someone a blast from the past so we'll probably get into this more in future crumbs episodes but this isn't the last time that she would hint at this she also said much later in october she said that some of the structures that we've got for the storytelling are slightly different and slightly new and that's refreshing and she again alluded to what she just said there that i will have some trouble that comes at me in surprising ways i have some opinions about this 
Yeah, go for it. Go okay, for it. so I think that the person from her past is probably Marcus Anderson. We've talked about that kind of our bonus to doom episode, I believe, that we think he has a connection to Lady Danbury. But yeah. as for the different storytelling structures, my thought on this is that Lady Whistledown, because at the end of season two, we actually hear Nicola voicing Lady Whistledown's yeah. words. I wonder if we'll be hearing like narration from other people, like maybe other people reading Li- Lady Whistledown. And also if we get Colin's letters, I would love to hear him reading in voiceover. So those were my just very quick ideas for some different narrative devices and storytelling structures we might see. I cannot tell you how much I want that. I think maybe it might go back and forth between Nick and Lady Whistledown, in my opinion, just because it'll be like when she's being more general with the ton and like doing gossip but when it like comes to specifically maybe talking about Colin or Eloise or the Bridgertons or herself Mm -hmm. because we know that she's very critical of herself in the book. The synopsis also tells us that she'll be having trouble juggling Lady Whistledown and kind of like her personal quest to find a husband so I wonder if they'll kind of intercut between uh, Julie Andrews and Nicola Coughlin as they're kind of having this boring struggle when they do Lady Whistledown voiceover as well. I'm thinking of the end of season one episode six where what Lady Whistledown is doing is talking about what Penn's done, what yeah. Daphne's done, and what Marina has done. But, you know, it is the question of how is Penn going to write about herself in, in the world? Only thing I want in this world is for Colin <laughs> to have a voice. And I don't I don't think it's going to happen. I think it, I don't, I don't think we'll be that it's lucky. It's in our dream, little daydream. Oh my God, maybe at the end, when they're like, actually Lord and Lady Whistledown, there will be like an ending part or something and they'll both be like, and that's it. The tiny, tiny, tiny reason I have hope that we might have a Colin voiceover is because he is her match, right? And so it would be like, he is the person that can kind of go head to head with her and so to have him subvert that by doing a voiceover too would kind of really I don't I can't explain it but I'd love it. Maybe they'll reveal that he helped write like the final Lady Whistledown of the season where they're reporting their marriage or something like that. That would be really cute. Now my dream 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 opening of episode one which won't happen is that the Shadum clip that we got from last year of the opening lines isn't actually the opening lines of season three. I would die if the opening lines was an extract from Colin's letters to Penn. Yes. So we did say we'd spiral. (laughs) Yeah. Just bear with me a second. It opens and we're expecting to hear Lady Whistledown and we hear Colin and he's like narrating some of his adventures. I would love it if they they also like have double meaning. So mm-hmm. Penn is returning back and she is imagined, she's like pissed off at hearing him having this amazing time, probably imagine him with like girls or whatever. And he's like narrating it and we get to see a little bit more of his travels and him coming home layered with like a little bit of romantic intention as he's coming back to her. And then we see him still narrating, pulling back, and they both arrive in London. And it's really cute. But I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think Colin's going to have a narration. I'd love it. So we had another stump article from Nick and Newts where we've got more clues about what was going to happen. So they talked again about how they'd left things in season two and how hurt Pen was and the mistakes that Colin had made. The interesting thing was, again, Nick talked about how they were going to find it when the season opened. And she says they were going to find with how her relationship with Colin had shifted in a massive way. She says, when someone says something like that about you loudly and humiliates you, it's going to have such an effect. Um, so maybe tying into what she said before about Pen being in a much darker place. Luke was being a bit more optimistic and he was talking about the way that they were going to resolve everything and kind of move past what had happened because Ultimately, we can't stay in, you never caught Penelope paralysis forever. He says the resolution would either be found in a massive row or a really heartfelt moment. I think it's going to be the latter. I think Colin will be like quietly devastated. And I, I think Penn will, she may be bitter, but I don't think she's going to be super angry at, at Colin. You know, she's just kind of written him off. It can't last that long, yeah. can it? 
And then she also made a couple of comments. We've talked a lot about pollen, but obviously the way that season two ended wasn't just about her losing Colin, it was about her losing Eloise as well. And Nick said that season yeah. three was going to be about two love stories for Penelope, referring to Pollen and Penelope's. And she's going to be interested to see how it progresses and that Penelope had a lot of internal maturing to do, which we've heard since, you know, Penn and Colin are both going to have done a lot of growing up. News again kind of brought this, I think this red herring up that we talked about earlier, so we'll just briefly retouch it. But he again kind of suggested that Penn no longer had loyalty to the Bridgertons. And it was going to be interesting to see if Penelope stopped protecting them. My theory is that if Penelope protects them by writing about them nicely, I don't think she have, would have to write anything bad about them to have an effect. It's like, she's yeah. always writing them out of scandals. Yeah. Maybe if she doesn't write anything, they'll just be getting themselves into more scandal. Yeah, my thought is that maybe as part of her kind of reconnecting with the Bridgertons, that she will write a story that serves them or helps them in some way in the, the latter half of the season. I just can't wait for Portia to be like, wow, I haven't heard anything <laughs> about the Bridgertons lately. Smug. And like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, you know, they get a lot of their social standing from how they're perceived by others and their popularity. And if suddenly, and I think about Francesca entering society, if, if Penelope decides to just not write about them and not engage with them, or if Eloise tells her not to write about them anymore. Eloise has a confrontation early in the season and mm -hmm. she's like, don't you write a word about my family ever again. If Penelope stops writing about the Bridgertons and they do get into a scandal and Penelope's like, I can't write about you to write you out of the scandal, then that could do a lot of damage. I've always had a theory that Francesca's gonna yeah. somehow be involved and that a learning curve for Eloise would be seeing how Penelope's skill can be used for good as well. And so maybe yeah. they kind of reconcile because... By reporting the truth. By reporting the truth, because she doesn't lie. And, mm -hmm. you know, if maybe something terrible... Because we don't know what scandal's going to happen, but if something terrible does happen to the Bridgertons, then it can be in a, a point where Eloise can appreciate how she's acted and that it does sometimes come from a place of protection, even if it doesn't feel like that. She doesn't mince her words, but she doesn't lie. Exactly. Yeah. And she's made a lot of mistakes and we hope that it'll be a chance for them to really grow for her to really take ownership and reconcile the parts of her personality. In terms of mistakes, mm -hmm. there was also a little comment from Nicola about Marina. We're very much in the Marina world at the minute, kind of with our season one rewatch. And she said that if Colin finds out about a secret, he's going to connect those dots pretty quickly on the 17th of June. Do you remember these infamous photos of Nicola, Luke and Jess Brownell, the showrunner? Yeah, so I think cute. they all got yeah. together. Maybe to do some preparation or some read-throughs or some debriefs and stuff. I don't think they'd started filming. And there were just these little posts on social media. It was the first time we'd seen them together, Nick and Newt. They were about to embark on everything. This was kind of the first sign that they were really getting ready. And Luke posted, you, season three, you are not ready. Just to wrap things up before we end, because we're getting very, very close to the beginning of filming now as was alluded to in an interview with Jonathan Bailey, when he said that he just got the first two scripts and he thought they were great. And he talked about how excited he was to support Luke, who he was like, he's my little brother. And he was checking in on him and making sure that he had everything they needed to know. And it's that sweet kind of passing of the baton that we've seen as yeah. the leads have kind of helped each other. And as we know, Jonathan Bailey kept a journal when he was the season lead and he passed it on to Luke. That was another clue, wasn't it? Because it was alluded to. I'm genuinely in love with everything about Jonathan Bailey. He's so nice. He's so attractive. He can sing. Everybody go see Wicked. Yeah. Jonathan Bailey is such a sweetheart, but what I've always really appreciated about his work with Bridgerton is I think he's very aware of the role he has as a cast member and within the story. Yeah. And in this interview with Vanity Fair Italy, he, you know, talked about being supportive of Newts and everything. But he said, it's only right for me to step back, recede into the background and enjoy the beautiful world that we're building together. Nothing else matters. And he's just such a good yeah. lead of the family and of the cast. Yeah.
you know, by this point, we were in very late June. It was clear that production was going to start any second. The last few bits and pieces we got were that there was a few more posts from Bridgerton social media and they were starting to layer in some more pollen content. And so they posted, you know, the Colin Bridgerton is my friend clip from 201. And they had the caption, if anything can break Miss Penelope Featherington from a bashful demeanour, it seems to be Colin Bridgerton. The last couple of bits is that Nicola posted, do you remember this season one throwback? <laughs> of the good old yes. Emily. And she says, suffice to say, she's ready for the season three glow up. A nice one to end on before we move into the filming process in our next episode. On the 8th of July, just days before they started filming, we had our beloved heart eyes scene with the enticing quote, Mr. Colin Bridgerton, perhaps your eyes are giving away what your lips are too scared to say. And what a place to leave it on, our Aww. beloved pollen. That brings us to the end of pre-production crumbs because, like I say, the next thing we get, they start filming. Yeah. Beans, I think in the next episode, we've got some clarifications to make. We've got some spiralling to do. We've got pirates aplenty. And actually, on the day that we're recording, it's actually almost, it's just over a year since we got our first filming leaks. So we've been in this for a really long time. And we'll be covering that in our next crumbs episode, which will come out sometime in the future now that we've had a bit of a cleanser can be diving into the second half of season one which takes a bit more of a, a more miserable turn for us all so we thought we'd have this break and then we're going to be jumping back in thank you all for joining us on this deep dive into pre-production if you stuck around this long we respect you we are a true true archaeologists of the pollen world and we're thrilled to have you with us but join us for our next episode and in the meantime where can everyone find us like you can find us at whatabar pop <laughs> No, you can find us on. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go to the pub? You can find us at What a Bar Pod on Instagram and TikTok. And you can find some of the crumbs and other discussions over on reddit.com forward slash r forward slash pollen Bridgerton. In the meantime, take it away, beans. <laughs> Das violin du 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 du